Good morning. Good morning. You know, as we are in this Memorial Day weekend, uh, I, I, you know, it is a time to reflect on sacrifice. And I don't know, I don't know where you're at in terms of all the the political discussions and all that, and oh, soldiers in war and. Honestly, right now, I want to set that aside. Here's what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the fact that any time I see a life that is willing to sacrifice to protect someone else, to me, it looks like Jesus. Because what Jesus does is he put his life forward and said, I do not want my kids being harmed. Therefore, I will do whatever it takes to make sure they're okay. And so in this Memorial Day, we begin to reflect back, right? On Veterans Day, we get a chance to have all of our military folks stand up and honor them. And, and that is a beautiful, beautiful time. And I don't want to minimize that at all. That's glorious and wonderful, and I thank you. But we also have a special day in the year on, on tomorrow, on Monday, where we actually say, you know what? There is a time when someone had to make a determination and a decision if there is going to be protection for others, even if it costs me my life. And for that, I believe there is such great honor in that. And so I would just like to thank and just appreciate all of those that have given such a sacrifice. Can we just give them a round of applause? Thank you for joining with me in that. Uh, we have a couple other folks that we would like to celebrate. Is there anyone here that has either in this season graduating out, promoting up, or doing some type of completion education program? Anybody here that's doing that? Raise your hands, raise your hands. All right, that was actually a lure. Can I have you all stand up? Everyone that raised your hand, you got to stand up. We're going to celebrate you, all right? Woo! All right. Excellent, excellent work. You know, I think that when we graduate out of something, we immediately get into this mode of, Lord, what's next? What is next? What is next? Am I going the right way? What do I do now? And and I just for a moment want to enjoy what you completed, right? I want to be able to say, well done. You nailed it. We got here, right? I don't know if it was ever in question, but maybe as you did education like I did, there was question at some point, you know what I mean? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Well, you know what? You did it. And I just want to appreciate you and tell you well done. You know, uh, in the fall, we tend to pray over our teachers and education system and our students. But in this season, we just want to go, wow, God, thanks. Thanks for the celebration that people got through what they needed to get through and that you are better for it. So anyway, congratulations on that. Uh, a couple other quick one update and one announcement here. And that is uh, annual business meeting is coming up. Annual business meeting sounds incredibly boring. It is not, and here's why. I'm involved. No, I'm just kidding. That's not why. That's not why. Uh, the annual business meeting is the one time a year where our whole finance team and our leadership 
tries to organize everything for you to look at it easily. Uh, a lot of other times people would say, hey, do we have access to the books? And, you know, we're members and everything. Great. It's just a lot of work to get them out there for you. So we plan it one time a year to say, hey, here's what we are investing all of the contributions and gifts and offerings. Here's what we're doing with everything that you've given us. It gets a chance to see where your treasure is there. Your heart will be also right. So it begins to talk about core values and what's important to us. If you would like to look at that, then that's really the message that we're going to be presenting. But there's also one other thing that's important. We don't vote on a whole lot as a family. This is something we vote to ratify that budget, to confirm that budget and say, we're with you leaders. So all members have a right and a request that you would be there to be able to say, I'm with you. All right. Because we want you to see what we see, have it wide open for you so that you see the transparency and you can make a good decision. So it is not going to be recorded, right? So if you're not there, you're going to miss it. Just letting you know. Uh, it is June 7th at 7 p.m. It's on a Wednesday night, June 7th at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday night. And our video actually said that it was here in the sanctuary. It is not. We changed the location to upstairs in the expansion room. So upstairs, if you don't know where that is, just go upstairs. You'll find it. We will find you. Uh, upstairs, the expansion room, June 7th, 7 p.m. All right. Everybody got that? Write that down. Okay, good. And then the last thing is just a super fun celebration thing that you might enjoy. Uh, did anybody get a chance to go to the baptism that we had this last weekend? Anybody raise your hand if you went to the baptism. All right. So you, you look around and you go, man, okay, that's pretty neat. So who got baptized? 52 people got baptized last weekend. Man, isn't that awesome? Man, 52 people got baptized. And I would guess, for all of you that were there with us, um, I think a conservative guesstimate is probably there was, what, 250, 300 of us in the courtyard. Would that make sense? So uh, we were all packed out there. There was food. There was family. There was fun. I mean, there's music playing. And I just love the atmosphere and the vibe of all of us hanging out together. And it looked... It looked like packed out there because the courtyard's not huge, but it was still room to move around and enjoy. Everyone was avoiding the sun like the plague, you know, it was like there's a line of the sun and everyone was just right on the other side. But then one of our pastors got this idea. He said, you know, it'd be fun is to really live stream this. So he grabbed his phone and, and Jeff, one of our leaders here, he put it in the perfect position so you could see the pool and everything. And check this out. There was about 300 people in the courtyard. 1,400 people watched it online. Is that not crazy? Man, and how wonderful that there was, you know, had we known it was going to go so well, we would have had a heads up beforehand and we would have told you, but there were still some families that got word and they were in other states and they just got to log on and they got to see their family members be baptized. They couldn't show up, but they got an opportunity to have technology be used in its best way to be able to be there with their family. And so I know there was more people that went on, but unique, just unique users, 1,400 people watch the baptism. This is a different era, y'all, where things are going on and there's thousands of people you don't even see that are always engaging, all right? Pretty exciting time. So God got glorified. All right, that is it for announcements. Let's go ahead and jump into the 
Word of God. Why don't you take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we can begin. We are in part three of our series, Walking Through the Book of Ezra, and I entitled the series, The Purpose Reclamation Project. The Purpose Reclamation Project. And really what we're reading is God realigning the Jewish people with his will. They had gone astray. He brought in correction. Now they're coming back into their land. They had been removed in discipline from the promised land. They're being brought back in after 70 years of exile. And now they got to resituate and rebuild and allow God to redesign their purpose. All right, so that's where we're going to be in it. But I want to begin by drawing your attention to the fill in the blank here with a couple thoughts. And I have, uh, I have some pictures I'm going to show you. Um, about in 2007, I went on a trip with my brother. I don't know if you even knew I had a brother. I have a brother and a sister. I'm the youngest of three. And my older brother is eight years older than me. And so growing up, we didn't have a whole lot in common. By the time I got able to do anything, he was out of the house, right? So we didn't have a whole lot in common. And in 2007, we got to go on a trip together. I was on a sabbatical and I was going to do some study over in Italy. And so we went over together for a couple of weeks. First trip we had ever been on together, just, just the two of us. It was a wonderful memory for me. Well, as we were going through Italy, we ended up in kind of a famous town by the name of Pisa. You all know the town of Pisa? All right. So there's a couple of things that you know about that. Why don't we throw up that first slide? Uh, you might know this. Yeah. So this is the leaning tower of Pisa that this famous worldwide, right? It's, it's not the one that's tilting and it was going to fall over and that kind of thing. But there's a couple pieces you may not know. As a matter of fact, as glorious as that is, have you ever seen their baptismal? Well, let's take a look at it. Let's go to the baptismal. That's their baptismal. So if you, it's so funny. We always look at the tower and we're like, wow, look how big it is. That's just for baptism. And all it has is a baptismal in it. That's it. Like it's, that is a huge building. You can see how big the people are, right? They all look like ants. And that only makes sense if you look at the church. Have you ever seen the church? Let's look at the church. <laughs> so the, the leading tower of Pisa is the bell tower. All it does is hold a bell because the church is that big. It's enormous. Let's look a little bit closer to that. I think we got another picture that gets us a little closer. You can see how big and ornate it is. I think it is still open for services, but really it's kind of empty and it's more of a tourist attraction. Uh, but really what I wanted to focus on was a tower. So let's get back to the tower. Let's go take a look at this one. Oh, there he is. Look at that guy. I just look bitter. You know, I don't know why I'm so angry in that picture. But anyway, you can go ahead and leave that up for a moment. And, and what I want to tell you about the tower is we all know why it's leaning, right? Why is it leaning? Because its foundation was terrible. As a matter of fact, had they not gone in, now they've gone back in and shirted it up. They dug under, relayed the foundation so that it is leaning, but it ain't going to lean anymore. They wanted it to stay leaning because they were originally going to move it back up and make it straight again. And that everyone's like, that's a terrible idea. So they left it leaning and now they shirred up the foundation. Had the foundation been laid right the first time, we wouldn't even have this issue. Ah, so what this reminds me of is that in all my years of ministry, what I've seen is hyper gifted Christians. I've seen hyper talented people. I've seen men and women of promise and potential. And because their foundation was so bad, they fell over. 
See, this breaks my heart. Why do I keep seeing Christians fall? It's because the foundation isn't right. And over and over, God is coming in and saying, can I please relay that found that's not right? You keep building up. You keep building up. We are not solid enough to sustain where you're going. You keep wanting it to be more flashy. You keep wanting it to be a bigger deal. You keep wanting to be more famous. You keep wanting to do all the... Yet it's not going to last on that foundation. If you do not let me redig, if you do not let me relay it, you're going to fall over. And this is what I wanted to talk about. I believe at the very core of our foundation, we have to have worship there. Do y'all know worship means anything that means God matters to you? That's what worship is. So for example, anytime you make a decision that you wouldn't normally, but God asks you to make it and you make the tough decision, do you know that's an act of worship? Anytime that you give of something to the Lord that you wouldn't normally give, that's an act of worship. Anytime that you sing a song that says, God, you matter to me, that's an act of worship. At the very heart and core and foundation of our being, every believer must be founded on the foundation of worship that says, God, you're more important. It's not about me. It's not about other people. It's about you. I'm not going to make the decisions of my life about what's easy for me. I'm going to make it about what's right in your eyes. I'm not going to make decisions based on what everyone else thinks I should do. I'm not going to try to cave to everyone else's peer pressure. I'm going to make determinations based on what my Lord says is right. That is a foundation of worship. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Sure footing leads to stable living. Sure footing leads to stable living. If your foundation is wrong, your life's going to crash. Sure footing, the footing, the deep down. Remember, the bigger the building, the deeper you got to dig and lay a more solid foundation. If God's going to do something incredible in you, he may well take a long time to build your foundation. And you're going to get bored and you're going to be real tempted to jump ahead of him. Let him do his work because he knows where he's going. He knows what he's building. I want to make this whole series very, very personal to you. So as we watch the Jews go back into their land and begin to rebuild the temple that had been torn down. I want you to think about what God is rebuilding in you. He has many purposes for your life. But he needs to get you realigned to get those done. So I wrote it like this. We are all in process of building a temple to the Lord in our lives. A place of worship in our hearts. Impacting people for the kingdom of God. And for glory to the king. As we obey and build with his resources, his way, and his timing, uprises a kingdom work. So how are we building with what he's given us? This is where we begin our story. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3 verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. And it's page 390, about 390. Ezra chapter 3 verse 1. See what God has for us. So if you remember last time we were together, about 43,000 Jews under the leadership of the political figure Zerubbabel, the religious figure Yeshua, he led, they led 43,000 Jews back home. 
When they came back into their land after being gone for 70 years, there was a lot of work to do. They first just got their home settled. Three months into it, this happens. When the seventh month of Tishri on the Jewish calendar came, and the children of Israel were in their towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. That means... That people gathered all unified, all together, all 43,000 were called out or representatives of the household. And they all came together as one man in the holy city of Jerusalem. Then arose Yeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Let me explain what you just heard. The Jews, to the Jews and their society, everything centered around the presence of God, which was housed, they believed, in the temple. But in the temple, it wasn't just an empty building. There was stuff there. There was the presence of God. There was memorial. There was... Items. One of the most crucial items that are in that was in the temple is the altar of God. And on that altar, they would offer sacrifices to God. As a matter of fact, when God set up his sacrificial system, we're going to talk about that's how people dealt with their relationship with God and their sin. But at the very heart of all of it, there was an altar. And on that altar, they were saying, God, you matter. God, you are real. God, we want good relationship with you. And we want you to communicate your presence to us. That's what the altar stood for. So now when they got here, they're going to build one. That lets me wonder whether or not you and I have the foundation of an altar in our lives. I told you we need the foundation of worship. That's what this altar represents. Do you have a very core of determination in your heart to say, God You are my number one. I put everything in alignment with you. And there's another foundation I think it talks to. The foundation of unity. Notice that all the people came together. All they had to do was build an altar. How many people were really working on the altar? I don't know, not that many. Let's say 10 guys put it together. Then why is everybody there? Because they knew that God was going to do a big work. If God's going to do a big work, it needs a support system and everybody's got to be a part of it. Here's how it ties into you. I used to do a lot of premarital counseling here at Bridgeway. As a matter of fact, I did almost all of it initially. And so I would train up the young people that were interested in getting married. We'd go through this big, long course. It was six weeks long and and it was an hour and a half, two hours every time. And I was training them in different practical things and conceptual things for marriage. And one of the first things I laid out that I said, listen, I know you're excited about getting married. I know that you're marrying your best friend. You're like, man, you're the greatest thing I've ever seen. Let's go make a life together. Here's what you need, a support system. Now, that doesn't sound all that exciting to a new couple. What do you mean we need a support system? Uh, He completes me. (laughs) We're whole together. We need nothing, right? This kind of thing. All right. Unfortunately, that concept leads us into some very dangerous places. Here's why. 
What we do is we say, I'm so excited to be with you. I can't wait to start a new life. Let's go do our own thing, our new thing. None of that is bad. Sometimes though, in our mobility driven world, we will then break away from everyone else. And we're going to go even to another state and we're going to do our own thing. And it's just about us, you and me, and we're us against the world. And we're going to build our new life. The problem with that is, and then problems hit. Why? Because you're human. And you live in this world. So problems hit. Sometimes a lot of the problems are simply trying to merge two lives together and two households together. It doesn't mean either one of you are bad. It just means that life is hard. When life hits and you're at odds, who are you going to turn to? Because remember, it's just you against the world, right? You turn around and there's no support. Who are you going to talk it through with? I said, Young people, couples, you need what's called friends. Friends are the ones that are going to listen to you and let you vent because your partner's the problem. You can't talk to them. They're the issue. So if you're all by yourself, you got nowhere to go. At some point, you got to talk it out. and you got to have friends that will hear you. They're not emotionally involved in that. They can give you clarity. They can give you wisdom. And so we got to have support. we got to have other people. Let's say you think your spouse is going to be it. That means they have to be your intercessor. They have to be your best friend. They have to be your lover. They have to be your therapist. They have to be the one that does all the events with you. They're the ones that are picking you up when you're down. What if they're walking through the same pain you're walking through? What if something happens to you collectively? Who's supposed to lift you up? It's your friends that are going to come alongside and say, we'll pray for you. We'll be with you. We'll hang with you. We can listen to you. We're going to bring meals to you. We're going to try to strengthen you in some way. We have to have support system in the same way. I know that we want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and we go, Jesus, it's you and me. And though none will follow, I'll still, no, no, none go with me. Still will I follow you, right? But even in that, the Lord says, but a lot of my support system are your fellow believers around you. If I'm going to give you a hug, it's going to go through one of them. If I'm going to give you a word of encouragement, it's going to go through one of them. We should never be lone ranger Christians. If God's going to do any great work in us, we can't be alone. Unfortunately, what happens is people don't realize that until crisis hits. Then they rush into the church and they want instant friendships. And it doesn't work that way. You got to build friendships so that when crisis hits, you have somewhere to lean. But it seems so much easier to do life alone. I know, I get it. It's just not as healthy. It's just not right. Do you have a foundation in your life of a support system of friends around you? I think we need that. It moves on. It says this in verse three. So after they built it, they set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they made burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. What's the fear from? There's a bunch of people that didn't want the Jews to come back home. Why? Because they've been gone for 70 years. What happens when someone moves out of a house? Someone has to move into the house. When you're gone and you got beat up by the Babylonians and they took you away, all your stuff became mine. 
So now I'm going to move in. Now I'm in there. I don't know how many of you have owned your house for 70 years, right? Uh, I moved into my, my, the house I live in right now in 2001, and it still feels like a really long time, right? But let's say you own that house for 70 years and someone knocks on your door and says, excuse me, you're in my house. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm in my house. Welcome to the modern day Palestinian Israeli conflict. I mean, if you want to look over in Israel and you see why the Palestinians are fighting with the Israelis, the whole idea was, listen, you guys were gone. We settled here. This is our home. And the Jews came back and they're like, "Uh, uh-uh, this is our home. And there's been a war ever since. There's more to it, but that's in essence where it started. So know that when the Jews came back into their land, there's a bunch of people groups that were not cool with them coming back. And so they were threatening them and they were trying to dominate them and scare them. So maybe they would leave again. And the Jews said, no, the Lord brought us here. We're going to stay here. But they said their only way we're ever going to be able to last here is if God protects us. And so they set up an altar and began offering worship over and over and over. They knew that if their relationship with God was right, then he would fight their battles. Do you have that foundation in your life? Are you able to walk through your life with confidence knowing that God is on your side? Or are you still fighting him and building your own kingdom? And then constantly questioning whether or not you're in the right place. Man, we're all kind of a mixture of that, right? Hmm. Old Testament sacrificial system basically goes like this. Hey, you guys sinned. You really insulted me as God. You disrupted our relationship, but I want us to be okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up a system where I need you to make things cool between us by killing an animal. Well, that sounds so weird. I mean, how random is that, right? What in the world? Why do I got to kill a little innocent animal? And the animal's walking by going, what? Right? Like, why am I getting messed up? This is not right. He said, I'm going to have you kill an animal because I need to show you something. Number one. When someone sins, someone dies. It's that big of a deal. So death has to be a part of it. We're not going to be killing other people, so we're going to be killing animals. I need you to realize the high cost that the wages of sin is death. I need you to see that seriousness. So we're going to go ahead and kill animals on this. And basically what it's going to do, because that doesn't really fix things with us, but what I'll do is I'll say, listen, I'll cover it for now. That's called atonement. So basically, I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to lift up the rug and I'm going to sweep it under the rug and set it back down. Now, we all know it's under there, but I'm just going to, we're going to be good, right? It's an IOU system, right? You can, you'll, you'll get me later, right? What was so powerful about what Jesus did, because atonement only covers it, what Jesus did on the cross was lift up the rug and vacuum underneath the rug. Now it's gone, gone. That's the power of Jesus Christ. But back then they didn't know that. And so their sacrificial system, they were waiting for their Messiah to come and take care of it all. Well, when they rejected Jesus, what Messiah was going to show up. So even today, they're still waiting to reestablish their sacrificial system to make things right with God. What's the problem with it? You have to put the altar in the temple. Where does the temple have to go? On the Temple Mount. Who owns the Temple Mount? The Palestinians. 
Do you understand all this tension that's going on in Israel and Jerusalem? And you're like, oh, that's so weird. Like, I don't know why you're fighting, right? Okay. So they started out their whole work, set up their altar, started offering sacrifices, knew that God had to be a part of it. It says verse four, and take a look at this. And one of the first things they did was they kept the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, a seven day long celebration as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required and after that they offered the regular burnt offerings the offerings at the new moon at all the appointed feasts of the lord and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the lord okay here's a couple things you might need to see one of the first things they did was celebrate because that was in their jewish calendar they have festivals all year long they started out in tishri that's their month And right off the bat, they had to do the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. What's that? It's kind of a trippy festival. Here's basically what you do. Everyone agrees around Jerusalem, we're all going to pretend. We're going to pretend that we're wanderers in the desert. So we're going to make little temporary shelters and we're going to live in them for seven days. Basically, it would look like this. All of us need to go get a little tent, set it up in our front yard in front of our house and everybody lived there for seven days. Then when you're done, you break it down, you go back into your house you go, what? That's so weird. Why would you do that? Because they're remembering the 40 years of wandering in the desert and they want to feel it. When they do their worship, they want to do like sensory interaction and tangible touching and they want to engage with it. Why? So they can have the full experience. God matters so much to them that they're willing to do all kinds of stuff like that to say, God, I want to remember. Here's something I wanted to highlight for you. Have you ever heard the phrase, you're in a desert place? Anybody ever said that to you? You ever said that to yourself? Okay, if you've been in church culture for a really long time, here's how it works. If things are going awesome for you, Everyone in the church is like, man, you are blessed. It's abundance, man. Shaken, running over, right? And we have all these funny little phrases we say. God is on you. You got anointing. You got blessing, man. All these different things. When your life is miserable, we say, oh, dude, you're in a desert. You're in a desert, man. You're in your wandering, right? We use these phrases. What do they mean? It means that in the desert, things are more scarce. Oh, it must be rough. So if you feel like you are in a desert right now, if you're going, yep, that's me. Woo, God, where are you? Got to get somewhere, not going anywhere, not having a lot of stuff, right? I want to encourage you on this. The reason why they celebrate the desert is because it was in the desert they learned about their God. It was in the desert they saw miracles. It was in the desert. He was present with them. It says that he guided them with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. It was in the desert that he was near. It was in the desert they had a new foundation laid so they could walk into blessing. So if you are in a wilderness, God's with you. You're not alone. Amen? Then it says this, it says, oh, and they were doing all these offerings and festivals and blah, 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 blah. I need you to know that there were mandatory giving and there was, I want to do it on my own giving for the Jews. Why? Because the Jews had a system set up by God that says, if you give to my temple, if you give to my work, 
I will bless you. If you do not, I will curse you. Everyone's like, dang. Okay, we're not under that today, all right? That's not what you're hearing from me, right? That's not our covenant. But it was for them. And there's a lot of reasons why, but just hear me out. They would give mandatory, we call it tithe, right? So that 10% and all that stuff, they would give of their first fruits. They would give of their harvest. They would give of their money. And it was demanded by God. Why would God demand something like that? Because he was trying to stop them from becoming monsters. Because the more stuff you get that you think is all you, the nastier you become. God put in mandatory to break the monster. But he said, in addition to that, as I'm blessing you, as things are going along in your life and you're full of joy, there's times you're just one going to share and be happy and give away stuff. That's called a free will offering. You know, I didn't ask you to do it. You're like, God, you are good. And you lay something on the altar. I would suggest to you that in our lives, we need both types of giving. Here's the first type of giving. You need to self impose mandatory giving in your life. Why? So you don't become a monster. You've got to get out and give away some of that so it does not ensnare your heart. Now, it doesn't, I didn't tell you where it needs to go, anything like that. I just know you need to give to the kingdom of God consistently on purpose that which costs you so you don't become a monster. In addition to that, we need free will offerings. And that's where we just want to bless because we can. All of a sudden you find out about a need or maybe your neighbor's going through a hard time and you're like, you know what? I could totally bless them and make their day. There needs to be giving like that. I think we need both of those. Verse six, when they got everything done, seven months of prep and gathering from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Okay, they got the altar going. Temple's still not built. Bummer. What do they really want? A cool temple. What is everyone going to be impressed by? A cool temple. What do they got? No temple. Why? Because God wants to build first things first. Our temptation is we want to build what makes us look good first. We want to build that which is showy first. Lord, let me build a ministry. How about you build character? Well, no one can see my character. Oh, really? Sure they can. God, I want to build, I want to build a marriage. How about you build a friendship first? God, God, I want to, I want to build and whatever you name, it's usually looks pretty good, Right? And what we need to realize is there's things that underlie all that. And so first things first, I can tell you this, a basic premise, a rule of thumb for building, if it goes up fast, it'll go down fast. You understand what I'm saying? So if you are like, man, I'm going to jump out ahead of God, please don't do that. If you rise to the top too fast, you're going to get shut down. Never run ahead of God. Look at verse 7. So they gave all their money to get this thing started to the Masons and the carpenters and they gave food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians who were bringing from 95 miles away. They're bringing by sea these Lebanon cedar trees according to the grant they had from 
Cyrus, king of Persia. They're buying some legit stuff. This temple is not going to be that fancy, but boy, it's going to be beautiful. Good stuff costs a lot. Here's my encouragement to you. Please don't give God your leftovers. I want to specifically talk about time. There are a bunch of us that we use the best time of our day on us. Man, I'm an early riser. I got all my energy. I got fire. So you know what? I'm going to make sure I'm up early, checking the news, throwing things up online, checking my stocks, checking this, checking that. And then I launch off to work and I got all my energy. Boom, I'm ready to hit the day. And I am building a kingdom. I'll probably do a devotion when I get home. Let me tell you this. When you get home from work, you are burnt. You ain't going to do no devotion. Right? It's always this, oh yeah, God, if I get to it, I'll get there. God says, hey, can I have that first part? Hey, before you check your stocks. Hey, before you check what's going on in the news right? Before you do all that other stuff, can you just check in with me first? Or maybe you're a night owl. Maybe in the morning you are useless, right? There's a bunch of you like that, right? In the morning, nobody needs to talk to you. No one needs to be around you. Slide coffee and back away slowly, that kind of thing. (laughs) All right. If you're that person, that's not your best. And you're like, I'm doing a devotional. And God's like, you're kind of mean. (laughs) What a... Maybe we don't do it right now. Because what's funny is if you're a night owl, you'll tend to just hang with all your friends or you'll watch the program or do whatever you want. And at night, you're all excited. God doesn't get that time. He gets your mean time. So I just want to encourage you. Can we please give God the best, the best of our time? Verse 8, now in the second year, after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month on the Jewish calendar of Ayar, Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josadag, made a beginning. Together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests, and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. Man, how cool is that? All together they made a beginning. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And the priest Yeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together, they supervised the workmen on the temple, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised Yahweh because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Man, how cool is it that they celebrated God but how odd that it would look to observers that they just threw a party over cement. Right? Sweet, check out our foundation. What? Right? I mean, look at it. It's super hard. It's got edges. Doesn't look very fancy, does it? Why are they celebrating? Because if you've got a proper foundation, you can build anything. You've got to have faith and vision. 
that if God's laying a solid foundation in your life, it sure doesn't look fancy and everyone else is going to look at it and go, really, that's all you got? Yeah, but I'm good with God. Yeah, I'm solid. And if I'm solid with God, he can build anything he wants on me. Sky's the limit. Celebrate. If there is a time in your life where you feel like you finally got free from something you've been battling with, celebrate it. If there is something in your life where you said, God, I think I finally surrendered this area, celebrate it. If there's something that you go, I'm finally right in this area, celebrate it. Why? Because if you're right with God, God can do anything. And then comes the weirdest part of this whole story. Verse 12. We'll close on this. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men, who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many others were shouting aloud for joy. So the people couldn't distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for everyone was shouting with such a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Man, that's a weird party. Yeah, some people are like, woo! Other people are like, oh! Right? It's like... What are we doing here? <laughs> I came to this party. Am I bringing you a present? Oh, no. Okay. Well, I'll give it to you. What's going on? Well, we can look at it in an optimistic way or a pessimistic way. I think the answer is probably both. Here's the optimistic way to look at it. They saw the first temple and God had done such a glorious thing. Who built the first temple? Anybody remember? Solomon. And it was a Wow right? I mean, everybody thought it was a big deal. It was huge and beautiful. They saw that one and they were like, God, you did such a mighty thing. All nations on earth knew about it. And now I'm looking at this one. I'm like, weak sauce. Really? This is our temple? Lame. And they just start to cry. Maybe that's what they were doing. Or pessimistically, what if they were just living in the past? God, everything used to be awesome. God used to be so big and mighty. Look at what this generation's building. (laughs) Ready to make it personal? Recently, I was told by someone that I was in the older man crew. You're welcome. Yes, thank you. I was just welcomed in. So I get to talk from the older generation's perspective. I'm that crew now. Here's my point. Is this what we're going to do with the younger generation? Are we going to remember and live in the past and go, man, God was good. What are you building? What are you doing? Come on, man. Really? Man, all the glory days, the glory days, the glory days, man, they were awesome. God was really moving. I don't know what you guys are doing. Ready to get rebuked? The only reason we're here is because you didn't handle your part well. And I didn't handle my part well. If it was so awesome, we should have handed it off better. If it was so glorious, we should have done different things. Because if you're telling me that we did it all right and God was moving in our day, how in the world did we not hand it to the next generation? If we're having a problem with what they're doing, that's our fault, not their fault. We should have told them how to build it right. 
We should have told them the stories of God's glory. We should have motivated them to know that God can do great things. But we were too busy celebrating how things were in yesteryear and we let it go. The younger generation needs encouragement. They've never seen what we've seen. Man, they're trying to build it. God's trying to do new works. He's trying to pour new wine. We're old wineskins. We're cracking. Ah, Right? He's like, man, I got more. I got more. I got more. I'm doing new stuff. Can't you celebrate with the kids? They don't even know what they're looking at. No, they don't see it in the past. You see it through your lenses. And all you're doing is giving them grief so they don't even have any excitement at all and they're leaving the church in droves. Let me tell you what we need to do as the older generation. We are here because they need us badly. We are here because we are to be the mentors that we should be. We are here to tell them of the miracles of God and how if they happened in our day, they can happen today. And we need to be, amen? And we don't need to talk about how great it was. We got to talk about it was great and it's going to be greater. We need to be talking about, you know what, kids? I know you're in a difficult place. I remember we were on a mountaintop and we went through a valley of the shadow of death. But you know what, kids? We came out the other side. And when we came out the other side, we were better. We were stronger. So don't get discouraged, kids. We can do this. We should pull all that is truly glorious that we have in our hearts, in our spirits, and give that over, not the method, but the heart. And we should be the ones being their greatest champions, going, no, 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 we did this, you can do it better, you can do it stronger, you can do it more sustainable, you can do it with more anointing, you can do it with more power, that we settled on less. Was it great? Yes, we will give God glory for what he did. But God's infinitely creative and he's not done. Oh, there's more. And we are the champions. They need encouragement. And they need to know how. Not just told that things were great before. They need to know why they were great. And the struggle that made those built. Right? Last thing I'll say on this was the temple was smaller. And some people aren't impressed by that. Some people are going to look at what God's building in your life and they're going to go, nah. Did God ask you to build it smaller? If he did, then it's right. I don't care what anyone else says. Did God tell you to build it good and it's good? Then it's good. That's it. Everyone else making an assessment of what God is spiritually building in you doesn't ultimately matter. There will be one that will give you a well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the one that you want to please. And you may say, you know, before everything was bigger and better. Was it? Or was it just bigger? What we want is better. And if God says it's better, it's better. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close? Here's what I want to pray for. I want to pray that God would have his way to lay the right foundation. 
that we would have a restoring of the fear of God in our lives in a healthy way, that we would have an importance and a value for God, and that we would let him move the stuff out and do renovations that are necessary. Y'all following me? And then we're going to pray for an anointing of the prayer team that they would be anointed to pray breakthrough in your life so that God would rebuild what he wants to build. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, in this atmosphere of your spirit, we want to say, have your way. That God, that there's a bunch of trash and garbage we've been hanging on to and you've been trying to pull it out of our hands and we're getting mad at you as opposed to letting go. So Lord, right here in this place, we want to say, do your renovations. If our foundation is not right, dig it again, dig it again, dig it again. If you have made a beautiful foundation and Lord, we have just begun to build a skew, tear it down and start over. Because God, the only thing that's going to stand in this world is what you build. And so we pray that you would teach us how to build rightly. Lord, get us to the very depth of what you want so we can rise higher. Dig the foundation as deep as it needs to be for us to rise to the level of our calling. And God, we want to confess we have stood against you at times. That we've been trying to build our kingdom, a little bit of our house, a little bit of your house, a little more of our house, a little bit of your house. And God, we want your house to be mighty and great. We need the temple of our hearts to be solid gold and good. And so, Lord, would you give us a passion for your kingdom greater than a passion for ours? Renew our minds and our hearts and our spirits. Anoint this prayer team to pray the breakthrough you intend. Allow this altar to be a place of repentance and restart. Regeneration, renovation, and restoration. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.